And we're back on Fictional Frontiers. I'm your host, Sohei Bawan. Each week here on Fictional Frontiers, we cover the quote-unquote best in pop culture entertainment, whether it's film, television, genre culture across the board. Our old colleague, quote-unquote partner in crime, I'm using a lot of quote-unquotes this morning, uh, James Berarnelli, the founder of RealViews.net, the best online film critic in America, will be back next week. We had some technical issues, and for some reason, his voice just kept coming in very, very low. Uh, through our studio setup. So we're actually shifting, transitioning to a new format. We'll still be here on the radio, but we are transitioning to a new system, which we think will alleviate a lot of these problems and actually add to what's going to be something that we've been working on for quite some time, which is another avenue for us to share our content and discuss things across the board. So what do I want to talk about this week? What I want to talk about this week is the strange place we are in with respect to film. And what I mean by film, I mean box office. Uh, you know, the studios obviously are still working through the strikes. The writer's strike seemingly is close to being done. I think they've agreed in principle. That's what I've read. But obviously they have to sign the dotted lines and there's still the actor strike going on as well. So that's going to be going on probably for another couple weeks. At the end of the day, probably nothing will be resolved until I would say just before Thanksgiving. They'll time it around there to kind of uh, take advantage of the holiday season, so to speak. And a lot of things are symbolic as well. Plus there are some points that they have to work out on the writer's side. The actor side, I'm sure they'll work on things and try to follow suit. The gaming industry, I'm trying to keep abreast of all that's happening there as far as the industry's uh, contributors on the artistic side, whatever guild they're in, how they are approaching this and what they're looking at. But nonetheless, it seems like this is a domino or the writer strike was a domino that actually has led to a lot of this tied to AI. And I'm going to get to the movie The Creator in a minute uh, because I think it's endemic of a very interesting, I guess, snapshot of where we are, not only with respect to television and film, but just storytelling in general. But uh, the theater industry is obviously not going to have a lot of quote-unquote tentpole content for a while. We had the Barbie film that came out this summer, which ended up being the highest grossing film in the history of Warner Brothers. I was not that impressed by the film, to be honest with you. I had a lot of issues with some of the content in there, um, or I had a lot of issues with a lot of the content in there. I do think the performances were very strong. However, I think that a lot of the topics that were addressed in that film were addressed in a much stronger fashion in films like Toy Story. Um, uh, There are other films like The Truman Show that address a lot of these heavier thematic elements and there was a lot of mixed messaging in the film in the sense that um, it's one thing to have a film that addresses certain concerns or certain themes or certain uh, issues but typically what filmmakers would do is they will either leave you with a question or they will definitively stand on one side or the other in this film they kind of planted the seeds of certain things and then on the flip side, at least the way it looked to me, particularly with the ending, it seemed as if 
they actually went against what the message uh, of the film was about, at least the message the director was about. I'll have to talk to someone about this in greater detail, but nonetheless, I think the reason it did so well was because of the hype associated with it, less about the quality of the film as a whole. And then there's Oppenheimer that did very well also, and it was a byproduct of uh, the fortuitous, I guess, in retrospect, definitely in retrospect, releasing of that film the same weekend as Barbie, because what happened was that the filmmakers and their uh, respective supporters online said that they were going to support Barbie, I'm talking about the Oppenheimer filmmakers, and then vice versa, because those films seem to be on polar sides of the uh, globe, so to, so to speak, storytelling-wise. And so typically what happens is that when you have two major projects, and both these projects were considered to be pretty major because Barbie is a very well-known uh, intellectual property. Most young girls have played with Barbies for the last, what, 60, 65 years, 70 years? Probably longer than that. Um, dolls have been a part of the play realm of young girls for a very long time. So you knew that was going to bring in a lot of people. Then Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan. Obviously, Christopher Nolan is the biggest director in film today. When he launches a film, people are going to go see it no matter what. And so a lot of people felt that this was going to harm one film or the other, having them released on the same date. So they decided to support each other online, say that we're going to buy tickets for each film. We'll see both. And that's what a lot of the Barbie and Oppenheimer filmgoers did. They bought tickets to both. And then it became a thing online where people would actually go to see one film and then maybe immediately afterward go see the other or see it the following weekend and they would show their tickets. And a lot of these things are uh, perfect storms. Uh, they're not, they're not. And I want to talk to James more about this next week when we talk about the film, The Creator, and some of the other films that have come out recently that have not done well at the box office because the the creator, even though it only cost $80 million, and like I said, I had fundamental issues with the title, big issues with the title, but I'm talking about the, the film itself as a science fiction uh, narrative, and it had a lot of very heavy, important issues, questions that people will be grappling with in the future with respect to AI. It had... Uh, you know, a very, very robust campaign supporting it from a critic's perspective. And then on top of all that, um, you know, it had uh, Gareth Edwards, who was the former creator, or I'm sorry, the director of Rogue One involved. And, you know, this was his, sub, his, this was his net last project since Rogue One. So we know that the film was visually going to be dynamic. All those things came into play here. And then Add to that, you know, a lead actor in John David Washington, who has been a lot of incredibly interesting films, um, very talented actor who just hasn't quite sparked the interest of people across the globe yet as a leading man for whatever reason. I don't know why, but he's an exceptional actor. He had a lot of things going for, but the film, even with an $80 million budget, did not do well at the box office here domestically. Then you have uh, a film, A Haunting in Venice, which I actually saw uh, a little bit late after it was released, uh, about a week or two afterwards. Another film that's more cerebral than typical Hollywood fare because you're 
dealing with a murder mystery. And murder mysteries, in many respects, from a plot-centric perspective, are the hardest to create because it takes a very deft hand. You can't just say, okay, we're going to decide what the ending is going to be, the who done it, who murdered, who stole, what have you, and then work our way backwards. It's a lot more nuanced than that because you have to make the journey to the ending very interesting. So it's a film that I thought was very well produced. Cinematography, just like the creator, were exceptional. Both these films had exceptional cinematography, uh, a deft hand. When Kenneth Branagh on uh, Haunting in, Ve- in Venice, and then scope and scale, Gareth Edwards. So you had really, really smart, in the sense that the topics, uh, the subjects they were covering, the way the stories were told, were not your typical smash bash explosions, lights, dazzling of the eye, and nothing else. They had something they were trying to say, or they were forcing the person who was watching it to think. I'll put it that way. That's maybe a better way to say that a film is quote-unquote smarter because it forces the audience to think. Both of those films did not do well. I mean, The Haunting in Vegas, and Venice, excuse me, Vegas, A Haunting in Venice did okay, and again, not a huge budget, and it's probably going to do well on streaming, because that's typically what happens with films like this. People wait until um, the film is released on streaming or on one of the uh, pay, uh, you know, pay-per-view and on-demand services out there. Two films, not exactly the same, but also kind of cut from the same cloth, not doing well. So what does that mean? I'm trying to go over this a couple different ways and try to look at it from different angles. And I really feel, and I don't want to be too harsh or too critical, but when I look at a film like Barbie, like I said before, I understand what they were trying to go for, but it wasn't a smart film by any stretch of the imagination. It had elements that were smart. It seems as if we're seeing, and I'm going to come across sounding pretty haughty and arrogant, to be honest with you, but uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm a little bit longer in the tooth I can say these things. The audience, the movie-going audience is becoming acclimatized to more uh, juvenile fare, sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, and even that is to some extent not working either. That's the thing that's so crazy because... Hollywood for a while, when it came to big budget fare, like the Fast and the Furious films, which it's incredible that those films cost as much as they did. And when you look at a film like Gareth Edwards' film and you see that it only costs $80 million, and the Fast and the Furious movies cost around $300 million, um, it seems as though people are, yes, they want things that are not that cerebral. They want things that are more escapist fair they're not really going to force them to think but at the same time they're not interested in the biggest explosions or the biggest uh, canvases either because i think they feel like it's a been there done that kind of thing or at least in the style and in the manner that things are being presented and you know i was thinking about this as well i'm going off a lot of rants and tangents here but if you look at um the way action sequences are filmed in the U.S. 
a lot of it's involving multiple elements. It's less focused on the beauty, on the the scale and the sense of really giving you um, or creating in you a sense of awe. Because so many things are happening so quickly, it's as if they're saying, okay, bigger is not only necessary, but a louder, more complicated, that's the approach we're gonna take because it worked for certain projects in the beginning, but now people are kind of tuning out to those projects. They're not, they're not interested in those projects. That's why I think to a huge extent, the Marvel films are not doing as well. There are other factors also. I mean, the characters, the storylines, they're just not uh, focusing as much on, uh, you know, characters that people want to see. There are some characters that, um, for lack of a better phrase, just don't have that cachet like a Robert Downey Jr. And I think if we combine all these elements together, like I'm throwing a lot of things up in the air, I'm just <laughs> seeing if they'll stick, but I think what we're seeing here is a direct product of YouTube content, which is really dumbing down the audience to a huge extent. And it's clever, kind of fair to some extent, but it's kind of like escapist fair with an, with an angle of, or an element of, um, I guess you could say shock at all, or kind of like I said, some kind of little uh, hook there. In, in essence, it's like, oh, that's interesting. That's what people are looking at. They're not really thinking. They they think for like half a second. Oh, that's interesting what they're doing. And I'm kind of, it's, it's it's kind of akin to, to be honest with you, the old circus acts back in the day, where people would go to the circus and they would see people do stunts, and it's it's this whole industry of that where the common person is putting a new spin or a new clever angle on something that has not been seen before so i think that's drawing people in but then on the other side the streaming content out there is also forcing people to appreciate storytelling in a different way and what do i mean by that a lot of the content out there is really focused on character and that's what I'm saying before, the Marvel content to a huge extent has been focused on the scope and scale. You know, huge third acts that just have a lot of elements flying around. And we're really not getting that invested in the characters in a dynamic, interesting way. So the storytelling problems are definitely pushing people away. So let's take a step back and look at all these different elements I've kind of thrown up uh, for us to explore. People are not interested in cerebral fare. That's too high concept, okay? People are also not interested in big, massive explosions just for the sake of explosions, okay? Those are two things. So you would think that because what happens is people think, oh, massive explosions mindless content they're one and the same no it's not necessarily that what i'm saying is that the mindless content that people are embracing and enjoying is more earthbound is more of a clever take on something that people have not seen before akin to what you see in carnivals and then on top of all that if there is dramatic fare that they're interested in it has to be longer form and not just meandering storytelling it has to actually have meat and it has to have grit 
So it cannot be just six or eight episodes of not really moving the story along. In essence, taking a four-episode series and making it eight episodes. It has to be focused on character. It has to be focused on plot, but it has to be done in a way that really, really pushes uh, the re- the reader or the viewer, actually. I mean, the reader, obviously, uh, when you're reading a book, you're always going to be, if you're compelled by the story, uh, you're going to be pushed to continue reading the book. But the viewer feels like, okay, I've got to watch the next episode. Just like the reader feels like I've got to turn the next page. And it's not necessarily just because of the story itself, but also the interactions between the characters. Uh Uh-oh, this is going to happen to this person. This is what this person's going to do. Wow, it'll be great to see how these two people actually interact with each other because we've been building up to this point here where there's a hero, there's a villain, and we want to see them together. Or two uh, antagonists and protagonists, or maybe two antagonists who are... Um, not necessarily on the same page, but have different methods by which they solve problems finally coming together. It's a building up of anticipation that comes into that process. And the Marvel films in the past had some of that in the way they kind of built up the MCU. The scattershot approach has not worked. And instead, what Marvel's done is they've gone bigger, 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 explosions, explosions, explosions. People are bored of those. And I said before that when it comes to Um, you know uh, elements of escapism they want a clever new take on something and they're seeing a lot more of that among the common people who are in essence in the spirit of circus performers to be honest with you so I brought a lot of different things in the mix here so you might be asking yourself where does a story like A Haunting in Venice come into play where does something like um the creator come into play because the creator was not a huge budget film and it kind of you know it brought people in with some high concepts again go back to what i was saying before people don't want to think too much they're unless they're invested in the characters that film even though it had some incredibly compelling storylines questions it asked for the general public it did not have the characters that people really wanted to embrace other than the AI child in the movie. Uh, the actress perform- actress's performance was incredible in that film. Um, but again, it's hard to really have that as the hook to compel people to see it, unless you're doing something like The Sixth Sense. The reason that film was so well-received was because Haley Joel Osment's performance was so strong, but it was attached to a storyline that had elements of horror and whodunit and what's going on here all that was built into the mix okay Um, maybe also with ai people are actually so afraid of ai right now that or maybe they're just not interested in ai that's like you know there are two sides of the equation here that's just not compelling enough um, trope horror stories are always going to draw people and that's why horror stories even if they're poorly made still bring in audiences but then what about a haunting in venice very, very good actors. Kenneth Branagh is an exceptional actor. Um, very plot-centric story that does draw people in. I think one of the things that, again, is sad, but you know, definitely probably the case with people across the board, is that you need to really have a, a compelling cast of celebrities to some extent, or people that uh, the general public wants to see. 
I mean, Michelle Yeoh just won an Oscar, but again, she's not really box office. And I'm not saying you have to have A-listers across the board, but you need to have people who uh, fill in the seats just because people want to see them on the screen. There is still that element in Hollywood that draws people in. So I think that was what was missing from that film as far as the box office was concerned. It'll be interesting to see what the numbers end up being on that. It, I think it's going to end up in the black. It's just not something that's going to draw people to the theaters or bring people to the theaters. And so that's kind of my rant on all the things I've been talking about because I've been wondering why films that seem to be addressing high concept questions and issues, very plot-centric films that require people to think, why are they not doing well? And I think in, in the end, what it really comes down to is that you, if you're going to have a high concept story and people are just not really interested to a huge extent in high concept fare across the board, you have to have compelling actors. You have to have compelling characters. And I think one of the reasons why Oppenheimer, aside from the Barbie connection, did so well is because the cast was exceptional. I mean, the cast was except Matt Damon is someone people know, okay? Um, Robert Downey Jr., people know Robert Downey Jr., okay? So you have people on the screen, Emily Blunt, another actress, people want to see. These are people who will get people's attention. A Haunting in Venice, even though I feel like Kenneth Branagh is an exceptional talent when it comes to filmmaking, He's not going to fill in the seats. He's not going to bring people in. Michelle Yeoh, maybe overseas, still not here in the States. The other thing that I think also has to, has to, has to be addressed is the theater going experience. When I went to see these two films, um, I have to admit the experience was horrible on so, on so many levels i've got to be honest i went to two different theaters and i won't mention the chain uh but they are the biggest chain in the u.s i guess i am mentioning it indirectly you can do your research one of the theaters literally smelled like urine i'm not making this up walking into the theater not even the 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 house itself but the theater itself smelled like walking into a place in which people had uh, urinated. I hate to say that. Um, it was dark. It was dingy. It was not welcoming at all. Uh, it felt very unclean. And I just didn't feel any incentive to watch a movie there. The presentation itself, the bulbs were a little bit, eh. You know, the lighting could have been better. The, the sound mixing was not what it needed to be. That was in one theater. In the other theater, pretty nice theater overall. I think, again, as theaters go, a different chain. Uh, also one of the, I won't mention the chain, but first one was, was <laughs> the biggest theater chain. The other one was not. Uh, so this was not, um, you know, a, a chain, pro this is not a chain problem. This is actually an exhibition problem across the board. People ruining the experience for the viewers constantly talking and laughing. Uh, and this was in a haunting in Venice, you know, young people not behaving well. 
And with a movie like that, you don't want to leave and complain to the ushers because then the ushers will come in and it'll create a disturbance and then you'll miss something. So it's, it's like, darn if you do, darn if you don't. And so I kept thinking to myself, you know, I'd rather watch this at home because I can't enjoy the film because there are dramatic parts in this movie that are being ruined because people are more interested in telling jokes. And if they didn't want to see the movie, why didn't they go watch something else? Maybe their parents dropped them off. I don't know. They were younger people. I will put it that way. I, I will say that. Uh, they were not older. Well, I hope they weren't older. Maybe they were. <laughs> That's even worse. I'm assuming they were younger people. But my point of the matter is, is that you have theaters which are not clean. You have theaters uh, attendees who are not respect of other, respectful of other people. There needs to be a complete overhaul of the moving going experience. And it's not enough to just have a program where you can pay a certain amount and watch you know, as many movies as you want in the theater. That's not enough. Yes, you're right. There's, there's nothing like watching a movie on the big screen. Even home theaters. I've visited quite a few people's homes who have impressive home theater systems. It's still not the same thing. But I think in their minds, what they have decided is that it's better for me to stay home and watch it here versus being disturbed by fellow attendees or having to wonder what I'm smelling when I'm walking into the theater. So I think all of those factors are coming into play. So I think the exhibition industry really needs to brainstorm and find a way to make the experience a must, must, must experience. And I don't know whether they're willing to do that. I don't know if they have the financial capabilities of doing that. I do think the theater industry can survive and thrive and do well. But I think certain elements need to be addressed. The environment itself needs to be addressed. And that's something that can be done. It needs an injection of money being spent. There needs to be something interesting at the theater to draw people in. And then on top of all that, there needs to be some way to police the people in there. Maybe you have to have an usher in every theater watching every movie and making certain that people are on their best behavior. Maybe that needs to be the case. And again, it comes down to budget, but the problem is that you are going to continue to have issues with audience totals and box office numbers if these things are not addressed. So you've got problems on both sides. And I sound like I'm ranting here, but it's just from my experience because I've gone to, you know, I go to most press screenings or most of the films I watch are at press screenings. Press screenings are one thing because everyone is invested People are on their best behavior. Yeah, the theater itself might have issues. But I'm talking about the general moving going experience. So Hollywood, you've got your work cut out for you. Because once these strikes are over, there's a lot more to address here. And we'll talk next week with James about that, hopefully. Because I also think the other factors that people have to recognize that the golden goose is no longer golden. It's a silver goose. And the amount of money that you're going to be making on these projects... You'll make quite a bit, but you're not going to make as much as you did before. And that goes across the board. Everyone is going to have to tighten their belts a little bit and recognize that it's an industry that can give you a nice livelihood, but you're not going to be able to live the way you used to because there are alternatives out there. And some of that alternative content is actually being produced by the very people you're trying to bring into the theaters who are parkouring off of, um, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I don't want to give people ideas, but you get the point. You're listening to Fictional Frontiers. We'll talk to you next week. Get all these tech 
uh, snafus taken care of. And uh, yeah, we welcome your input. Be safe, my friend.